This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today, a very, very special day around here at the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. We are episode 300. Can you believe that? I I, I cannot. And you know what? There's nobody better to celebrate with. And I don't even think we told him, but uh, right. past guest fan favorite, Dustin Woodhouse is back on the show to celebrate the 300th episode. I don't know if I've done anything 300 times. Yeah. Yeah, your your body's done pounds three hundred yeah. times, but uh, I think that's about <laughs> it. But we we had um, Dustin Widows on, who just primarily he's one, of the, one he's, of the first guests. He's one of the first guests. He's a great friend of the show, and this is the thing about Dustin: when we started the podcast some six years ago, call it, he was one of the first people that we ever reached out to to talk about it. And his right. advice was, you know, once you start a podcast, the only the only thing you have to be aware of is you're putting yourself out there into the public space. So everything you say is going to be scrutinized. He was not lying. That's right. He he was not lying about that. And he introduced us to a gentleman named Scott Peckford, who runs the I Love Mortgage Brokering podcast, which is a very successful podcast for mortgage brokers. And you basically, if I recall, you called him. I did. And he basically gave you the what we needed to get this thing started. Well, you know what? He gave he he was uh, generous with his time, I will say. The one thing everybody says, and it's now the advice that I give people that call us, but it's be careful almost what you wish for because we've been doing this six years. Every single week, 
we got to put an episode up. Yeah. Whether we want to or not. <laughs> whether Monday you're sick. or Tuesday. Yeah. It's like <laughs> whether uh, your kid's sick, whether you're uh, going on vacation or whatever, right? There's very few moments that you're not constantly thinking there's about. There's a the noose episode. around your neck. There's a noose around your neck forever, <laughs> as long as you run the program. So here we are, six years in, 300 episodes deep. And uh, what a pleasure to have one of our earliest, earliest guests on. Dustin Woodhouse. Yeah. And he's, uh, of course, the president of Mortgage Architects. He's been doing that three years, I believe. He's also Amazon bestselling author of Be the Better Broker, which is a three volume book series about becoming a mortgage broker that I think applies to realtors, I would say. Right. Well, mortgage brokers specifically, of course. And he also, as just a final plug here, he has. The Broker's Journey 2022, which is a two-day conference in which it's basically a planning, getting inspired for 2022, the business year of 2022. It's on his website, bethebroker.ca. You never go wrong by listening to Dustin Woodhouse, I would say. uh, You know how comedian, like a comedian's comedian, he's kind of the broker's broker, right? He's a really, really popular guy in the broker community. And this episode will will illustrate why, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. But before we get to that, Adam, a few things. One is the five wire. Yes. Which, of course, on popular a popular segment on the show. Po- popular segment on the show. Dustin's stuck around for it a few times in the past. We even changed the questions up slightly because he's answered these questions before. Uh, of course, it took the 300th episode where we realized the recording conked out. Right. So... There's a first for everything. Yes. Congratulations (laughs) on this amazing feat. But yeah, what he had a couple good book suggestions. That's for sure. Well, let's hear Let's, let's cover it just because we, we don't get to the five wire this week. Uh, The episode is so incredible though. So listen all the way through regardless. This is a one book recommendation. It's change or die. And that is by Alan Dutchman. If I'm pronouncing, yeah, I think you're saying that right. If yeah. I'm pronouncing Dutchman, uh, correct, correct, <laughs> exactly, exactly yeah. like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Oh man, Alan just turned it off. Then the second book, Matt, I think you have it here. You've already got it on I've your I've already Audible. got it. The Checklist Manifesto by Atu Gwande, famous author, and uh, yeah, excited, I'm going to get that one ex- as well. Excited to. Uh, to crack that one open on Audible. Is it possible that it's 300 plus pages just telling you to do a checklist? No, you know what? It's only six hours and nine minutes. Okay. But how many ways can you say to to write stuff down and cross them off a list? Right, right. <laughs> and, and and Matt, I got to bring this up, but we were just talking about, you just got back from Victoria. Victoria. I was in Victoria for the weekend, yes. And you, you had your in-laws in town. I did. What were you doing in Victoria? <laughs> you know what? Well, we basically hardly got back. It was torrential downpours the entire time uh there was not a lot going on there but it was pretty good stayed at the grand which is uh yeah nice hotel downtown it was uh no it was a good good couple days did you guys uh two rooms definitely two (laughs) rooms definitely two rooms two to two separate tables at uh at at breakfast right yeah no it was uh there was some nice separation and and (laughs) good good to hear and uh and you visited harris green from the sound harris green so this is anyone who listens to the vancouver commercial real estate podcast and of course we've talked about it on here but this is a a Corey Wright sawhorse. Is that what you say? Yeah. It was a pick of Corey's early, early days too. He's been talking about Harris Green for for years now. Yeah. We spent some time in Harris Green, went by the Nest, Chard's new development there. Man, Yates and Cook, that area is, it's exploding. 
Yeah. It was so, you know what, after hearing so much about it, and I've been obviously to Victoria before, but not since we've kind of been talking a lot about the Harris Green area and what's going on there. And yeah, it was fun. Spent spent a couple hours kind of walking around and uh, no, there's a lot going on. It's a weird feeling when you romanticize and talk about a neighborhood where you haven't even really been there the, the for so the long. The Yale town of Victoria is well, what I've been telling people for years now. Yeah. Well, it's funny. We've been, cause I, I feel that way in Kelowna as well. We've, you know, dissected that market at length here on the podcast. So when you visit Kelowna, it's incredibly exciting to go and see these kind of landmarks, which are only landmarks in your own head. Yeah. Right? You know what? It's kind of like almost uh, like I remember being in California when I was a kid and and being like in Hollywood and you're like, this is the diner where swingers took place. And like, right. that's how long ago it was. Yeah. Your money, uh, babe. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, exactly. But it's like uh, those um, popular pop culture kind of reference points. But right. for us, it's almost entirely real estate related. Yeah. And in fact, my in-laws were definitely sick of, of real, real estate. estate. It was incredible. Yeah. Like I was like, furthermore, as they moved tables and, uh, and got an extra room. Yeah. 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 No, it takes a special breed to spend a weekend with you. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, what else do we got before we cut to the episode with Dustin Widow? Well, for the 300th episode, of course, as always, we are sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our brokerage, best brokerage in, in the city. Hands down, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. This is of course for new agents, aspiring agents, people just looking to make a change. Oakwin.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. You'll meet Michael Morgan and the gang. And better yet, you'll get a huge incentive. Might even be a sweatshirt. Not sure. Have no idea. It's worth it though. It's <laughs> worth it just to talk with Michael Morgan and the gang. I'm telling you that right now. But Adam, this goes long, even though we I love we this lost episode. the last 10 minutes. Yeah, this is a fantastic conversation. I could listen to Dustin Wax and Wayne for hours. So Man, this, is, tell a, you this what, is a good one. He's an opinionated guy, but you know what? He is a unique voice he is. in the marketplace. And it's so, so great that he always finds the time to come on the show. Yeah. Without further ado, our conversation with Dustin Woodhouse, episode 300. Let's go. Okay, so we're here with Dustin Woodhouse, president of Mortgage Architects, also the the author of Be the Better Broker series, which I got to say off the top, Matt and I have fantastic series of books. And of course, past guest fan favorite. How you doing, Dustin? Gentlemen, it's good to be here again. I always enjoy our chats. Yeah, I I feel like it's almost crazy that we're not saying Amazon bestseller or New York Times bestseller or something for Be the Better Broker because it's a it's a really successful series. Well, you I mean you could say Amazon bestseller, but I've actually it's the first time I've ever even muttered those words because I always kind of was like, yeah, but is that really a bestseller? <laughs> But I, I, I have the little screenshots where uh, books one, two, and three, there's three volumes uh, literally held, one, two, and three, and Amazon mortgages. And uh, you know, I take the screenshot and send it to mom and dad, make them proud. It's funny, though. I, I'm a participant, uh, well, kind of more kind of the quiet, quiet lurker on your Facebook group there. You have just absolutely raving fans when it comes to brokers in our industry. Well... You know, I try and just tell it like it is, and uh, I, I also, I think, <laughs> I think I earned a lot of fans over the years for really owning my mistakes. Like I, I have some, some real cringeworthy stories uh, that you know you just 
you, you, I'm, I'm, I'm getting choked up, like, you know, I'm choking on my words here now because you, you just can't believe you just said what you said to a client. <laughs> and, uh, and, and how many people then actually write that story down, make it a chapter in a book. And for the record, any of the stories I've written where some of them, uh, the individuals involved have more identifying characteristics, I reached out to those individuals and I said, hey, you probably don't remember the time. <laughs> and they just laughed and oh no, I remember I remember. I said, Well, I really want to I really want to use it in a presentation. I want to put it in a chapter and I, I want to own it. I want to own my stupidity. And uh, they, they were all very, very good people about it. They were all just laughing and saying, Yeah, no problem. If somebody figures out it was me, uh, no harm, no foul. I'm not worried about it. So yeah, like I say, I I, I know that. Well, it's, it's like anything, right? I mean, somebody who actually admits they have faults, like, oh my gosh. You're right. human too. Well, I think I think that's one of the things that we appreciate about you is just how relatable you are to uh, to everyone. When you think about the fact that you're now president of a national mortgage company, can you talk a little bit for listeners that don't know you? Talk a little bit about your your origin story here a bit. Yeah, I, I'm not a guy with a bunch of letters behind my name. I, I wish I was, but I couldn't stick it out. So no no degree from 1978 or 88 or 98 or some useful time like that, which not to disparage somebody who's got a degree. I mean, hey, a, a degree proves you're capable of absorbing vast amounts of arcane data and understand words like arcane and, you know, can... <laughs> And then can, you know, actually form opinions and uh, hopefully uh, valuable uh, thoughts on topics. So, no, I'm not a man with a degree, but I am a man with 50 years of life experience uh, as of this year. I was the face and the voice for 10 of those years for 1,695 families, individuals seeking mortgages. So, you know, your mortgage broker goes pretty deep into your life. We see it all. It's a very interesting experience. And like I say, having done that 1,695 times, I feel like that qualifies me for something. You know, I, I think I have a pretty good grasp of the home buyer's psyche. And the, the media drives me crazy with their hype on, well, first the hype on bubbles, let's ignore that, but the hype on speculative real estate purchasing and all the rest of it, like it's such nonsense. Like 95% plus, 95% plus of real estate transactions are happening with highly stressed individuals looking for shelter. Like that's the real statistics. And you can open up any lender's book of business and you'll find, on average, fewer than 5% of mortgages are on investment properties. 95% of mortgages are owner-occupied properties. And, and as I say, those folks don't just take a Sunday drive and decide on a whim, let's buy a house. They're buying a house because they're getting married, they're having kids, their kids are moving out, they're getting divorced. In our world, they're coming to us for financing because they need to renovate due to a health issue or they need to refinance to pull money out to start a business, save a business. There's all these different things that go on in people's lives that create huge amounts of stress. And then as these people are hitting peak levels of stress, they come into a realtor's and or a mortgage broker's world. And um, if I if I was going to have a degree in anything, I think psychology or counseling probably would have been the right ones to get. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's been it's been fascinating. And as I say, I mean, I did ten years uh, of brokering, 
People ask me, do you miss it? I miss it every single day. I'm only one step removed from it in my new role. I've now spent three years as the president of Mortgage Architects. And I'm going to just say we're Canada's fastest growing brokerage because by the numbers, we're a publicly traded company, so I'm probably not supposed to rattle off all the numbers, but you know, we've gone from 1,350 agents or so to just under 1,900 is where we'll be at at the close of this year inside wow. three years. And the average production has skyrocketed of existing agents. And uh, you know, we've, we've moved some of the lower producers out, built some of the lower producers into higher producers and taken higher producers to another level. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a really fantastic three years behind us. And I think we've got another incredible three years ahead of us. Unfortunately, for anybody listening who's hoping that they're going to hear home prices are going to you know, come down or the market's going to cool down, I, I personally do not see that happening anytime soon. Dustin, maybe that's a, a, a good starting point for the conversation home prices <laughs> and and maybe talking about this kind of long bull market run we've seen in real estate what are what are the main factors in your mind kind of driving this run well i mean i i sat back and uh thought deeply about this 10 years ago and and, and arguably 20 years ago and 30 years ago because i was thinking geez how am i going to put a roof over my head i still remember driving through heritage mountain above part of port moody pardon me above Ioka Road. I still remember driving through Heritage Mountain 25 years ago or so, a little more actually than that now, almost 30 years ago. And I remember driving through there with my brand new wife at the time, so about 25 years ago, my brand new wife at the time, you know, uh, baby on the way, and I've got like $10,000 to my name. I'm in my mid-20s and I'm thinking, how am I ever going to afford one of these incredible houses these houses that they're all like 220 230,000 for like a 3500 square foot house which of course is what you have to have for to have a family and every one of them had like a brand new minivan in the driveway and i mean back then those minivans they were like 18 grand i mean how how's it even going to happen you know and then life happens and if you work hard which i've always done uh, then then all kinds of good things have the potential to happen and and two three short years later there we are closing on a house up at the top of heritage mountain for 2799 it got up 50,000 bucks since i started looking and trying to figure out how to connect the dots and make it happen but you know 279 was that a crazy price to pay for that home well of course, we know it wasn't, but that exact home today would be 1.279. Is that a crazy price to pay? It's probably not, actually. And uh, and who can afford to buy a 1.27 million dollar home? That must be foreign buyers, you know. Um, no, no, that's that's uh, you know you probably heard me say this before. That's that that's the real problem group in in our society, and you know who I'm talking about: teachers firefighters cops and nurses because they all marry each other and if they work a little overtime and they work a little hard on the degree and everything else they all make a hundred grand a year and then you suddenly have two hundred thousand dollar household incomes at a 25 percent tax rate 150 grand a year twelve thousand dollars per month cash in hand after tax you can save up a down payment pretty quick if each of them had bought a studio or a condo of some kind a few years earlier They've had a bit of a lift on that, some 
know, mortgage pay down thanks to the low rates. So if they've got three hundred, four hundred thousand to put down, you know, that nine hundred thousand dollar mortgage that sounds insane, well, the payment's only about thirty two hundred a month on that mortgage right now. For a couple of regular folks, not wealthy, not rich, who have twelve thousand dollars a month left over after taxes. Well, you know, round it up, round that thirty-two hundred to four grand. That still leaves them eight thousand bucks for groceries and car insurance, and you know, a trip to Disneyland. Mind you, you got a budget for the COVID test to go to Disneyland, so that's a little more expensive now. Um, you know, so so what's driving the market? Twelve years ago, I wrote a series of blog posts. Uh, Ten years ago, pardon me, twenty twelve, I wrote a series of blog posts titled "How I Learned to Love the Bubble and Stop Worrying." And it was about a five-part series. I think it's actually still on my DustinWoodhouse.ca website. And and they would read, I think, very much like they were written today. Because I talk about those fundamentals. It it is what it is. And it's not low interest rates driving prices through the roof. Again, the people who generalize like that, I'm pretty convinced those are the people who also have all-season tires on their car. Because they don't really understand how things in the world work. Like in the car business, we refer to all-season tires as no-season tires. They're not really good at anything. <laughs> you know, like that, that's the reality. Of it. But, but people think, well, that must just be the right way to go. You know, well, it must be low rates. That must be what's driving those prices up. That just, that just seems like common sense. And of course, it's not, uh, well, com- as they say, common sense is uncommon, right? Low rates aren't really a factor because in January 1st of 2018, a stress test was brought in, and that stress test has basically had everybody qualifying between 4.79 and 5.25%. So in other words, when you go to get a mortgage, you enter a pretend world where rates are already 4.79% today, five and a quarter for quite a, quite a few years there. So all these people that are buying, they're having to qualify at this incredible stress-tested rate in relation to the real rate of the day. So today's low rates are not allowing anybody to borrow any more money at all. In fact, the typical borrower today is hamstrung by about 35%. The stress test cut the average Canadian household's borrowing capacity back by 35%. And all the old people go, well, that's good. They should be cut back. The youth getting themselves into trouble, you know, which is, of course, a load of nonsense. That's just like saying the youth of today don't want to work hard. Also nonsense. I mean, the irony, of course, is I'm now so old that I have people in my age bracket saying those dumb things. (laughs) You know, I I, I took a screenshot of a post the other day and sent it to my 23-year-old son. And uh, I said, this guy is younger than me, and he's complaining about how young people don't want to work hard. You know, he's willing to pay 30 bucks an hour for them to get out and dig a hole in the rain. And they're all lazy and they're all, you know, weak and blah, 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 blah. And I sent it to my son. I said, hey, this guy is looking for work. He's looking for helpers. (laughs) (laughs) And my son was like, yeah, sounds like a real peach to work for. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm like, like, gee, I mean, maybe there's a connection as to why you're having trouble hiring young people, you know, when you complain about them endlessly. But but anyway, as I say, I mean, there's a lot of perceptions out there that are simply not accurate. 
yes, we've never had lower interest rates. Yes, mortgage money has never been cheaper, but it's never been more difficult to get the mortgage. You know, when you make $100,000 a year and you have 20% down and you want to move to Squamish and you're told your purchase price is $700,000. So for people listening to this right now, jump on the MLS site, go to Squamish on the map and cap the price at $700,000. As of November 14th, there's one listing at $699, one listing at $700,000 in all of Squamish. Squamish, not downtown Vancouver, not West Van, like not Caresdale, Squamish. It's a pretty sad state of affairs when the government has hamstrung people's borrowing capacity so severely that somebody making $100,000 a year, bringing home $75,000 cash per year, is limited to a $2,000 a month mortgage payment. So you wind up having to rent because you can't qualify to buy. And that leads into where I think we're really starting to trend towards, which is a very dangerous place where real estate is truly becoming an investment for the wealthy only. You know, the, the, the middle class need not apply. You will, like a generation of renters is a real risk at this point. And, and, and again, like how the government's thinking, you know, how, how, it, how it tracks, I don't, I don't follow it. Like we're worried about foreign buyers. Do we put in a law saying only one property per foreign buyer? Or show us that you've got an application pending for permanent residency status and you know we'll let you buy a property then? No, no. The government, both parties, because one implemented it and the other one raised it. So one brings in a 15% tax and the other bumps it to 20%. They don't actually do anything material about limiting purchases by foreign buyers. They just say, ah, oh, we, we want a taste. Give us, give us some. And of course, the market's gone up, what, 50% since that 15% tax came into play. So the tax didn't mean anything to foreign buyers. Then the federal government, as they say, basically kneecaps all Canadians by 35% on their financing power. So taking you out of the game. Like, you can afford the payments. You've never missed a payment. And nationally speaking, the arrears rate was like 0.28%. And by the way, arrears means two missed mortgage payments in a row, not foreclosures. Mm. And foreclosures, like 90% of foreclosures, 75% of foreclosures are investment properties, but over 90% of foreclosures are driven by the 3Ds, primarily death, because as it turns out, dead people don't keep paying their mortgages. Uh, disability, which is really sad because disability insurance is so inexpensive and Canadians are so underinsured, it just drives me crazy. So no one should lose their home over disability. But, you know, that $9 a month for the disability coverage seemed like too much. So they waived it. And divorce. And a lot of times it's a trifecta of the three Ds. You know, you get two or three of the three happening at once inside a family. And, uh, and those are real tragedies but they represent 0.28%. So there wasn't any problem the government was trying to fix by, by pulling everyone's ability to borrow back the way they did. And as I say, it's really unfortunate because there's a lot of hardworking, 
people with excellent credit, solid down payments, paying three grand a month in rent, who on paper, we cannot get any more mortgage money than $2,000 a month allows for, which is insane. Like, how does that make any sense whatsoever? Right. So thank so, you for the soapbox, gentlemen. No, 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 no. It, so Dustin, it, it sounds like that it actually leads to the the next question that I had for you, because first off, it sounds like we've been ten years out since your blog post, and I remember those blog posts well. We're still on very solid foundation in terms of the real estate market, as I understand it, and yet at this moment, we're talking about how uncertain this moment is, right? With rising inflation, potentially eight interest rate increases over the next two years. I feel like I know the answer to this one, but I'll ask it anyway. How scared should people be in these uncertain times? Oh my God, you should be terrified. (laughs) Right? I I mean, like, click, click, click. How am I going to die? Click. How am I going to die? Click. How am I going to die? Click. <laughs> I mean, what's about to kill me? Click. Like, like that. That's our human brain. Like that. That. The amygdala. That little almond-sized piece of tissue in an otherwise great big lump of tissue in our heads. It drives how we click, what we read on, what we respond to, and the media knows that. And so, in the same week that you had, you know, Mr. Holt from Scotia Bank come out and say. I predict eight interest rate hikes. Okay, based on what? And what's your track record for predicting interest rate hikes and predicting real estate crashes? And like, what do you? And and what are the ramifications if you're wrong? So if a whole bunch of clients go and lock in their mortgage, massive mistake, and fail to stay variable, brilliant move, based on the crystal ball predictions of Mr. Holt. What ramifications does Mr. Holt suffer? None whatsoever. What does the media suffer from blasting his prediction, you know, from the mountaintops? Nothing. And in the same story that that broke in, if you, if, if for the people, for the, for the one in a hundred who actually read the whole story and got to the bottom three paragraphs, there was a reference of an individual, a representative of the Bank of Montreal with a very impressive job title probably a whole bunch of degrees. You know, they're like a very intelligent man. And what was his quote, which nobody has heard since? His quote was, well, maybe one hike or two, definitely not four. Now, how come that guy didn't get the headlines? He's accredited. He's a representative of a major bank in Canada. And nobody cared what he had to say because it wasn't scary enough. So it's very frustrating what we face with that. And I'm not trying to sell anybody anything. Like, I've got no skin in the game, per se. Like, I don't have a project I'm trying to sell. I'm not a builder. I'm not a developer. I'm not a realtor. Like I say, I'm, I'm not even an active mortgage broker, but I'm in the mortgage space. But we're not really selling anything, per se. Like we're just here to help the people who need the financing to buy the thing they want to buy. So like I say, I really don't have any special agenda with any of what I'm talking about today, other than maybe just frustration with policymakers and media. It's uh it's 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 distressing to see the damage caused because you know when the bank phones you up and says, Matt, Adam, rates are on the move, you've got to lock in. 
you're in that variable rate mortgage. What are you thinking? If you get on down here to the branch today, we can lock you in to a five-year fix. That's the only thing they'll talk about. It's the only thing they'll talk about to a five-year fix, and we'll, we'll make sure you're safe. Now, remember, this is a representative of a shareholder-owned, profit-driven corporation. Are they really phoning you for, to do a public service, to do a public good to help you? Or is this perhaps something that will help shareholders? Because when you go and lock into a five-year fix today, you inflict an immediate 1% interest rate hike on yourself, the equivalent of four quarter-point hikes by the Bank of Canada, something that one individual is predicting might happen next year. Might. And, you know, he said, unless X, Y, Z happens. <laughs> so to go inflict that massive rate hike on yourself is one thing, but to do it without understanding the ramifications around prepayment penalties and the statistical likelihood of triggering a prepayment penalty is just brutal. And no banker says, oh, by the way, your variable rate mortgage right now, if you break it, and let's say your balance is $400,000, uh, your penalty will be about $2,000, about a half a percent of the balance, $500 per 100000 And by the way, now that you're locking in to this one point higher rate, so on that $400,000 mortgage, you're going to pay an extra $4,000 a year in interest. Really? Yeah, I did the math right on that. You know, that's, that's unbelievable in itself. But also, you're exposing yourself to an $18,000 penalty, $16,000 increase in penalty risk. Oh, but it's fine. It's fine. You don't understand, Dustin. I'm never going to break my mortgage. Yes, that is what 10 out of 10 Canadians say, and six of them are wrong. <laughs> six out of 10 Canadians break their mortgage at an average of 33 months. Now, why do they break their mortgages? Um, gee, I don't know. 96% of businesses don't survive 10 years. That's a factor. 50% of marriages don't survive 10 years. There's another factor. People have been moving left and right. You know, Zoom and whatnot, is the pandemic is changing people's career trajectories completely. There's a lot of things that happen. So locking in, massive, massive mistake. You know, worrying about four interest rate, rate hikes that might come next year. Well, if you're worried about that, head on down to the branch or call your broker, better yet, and adjust your payment accordingly. Increase your mortgage payment to match the higher rate now. Inflict that payment shock on yourself now, and every extra penny goes straight to principal. And in the meantime, you're paying your mortgage down faster than ever. And if those rate hikes start to show up, okay, well, you're already covered. And Dustin, that, that's a great advice, obviously. But I'm just wondering, is it, you know, crystal ball wise, are, do you have any opinion on how quick interest rates will increase? Or is it more just, hey, don't worry about, don't worry about what you can't control that hasn't happened yet. And, and here's the best advice, knowing what we know today. Well, do I have an opinion? I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that opinionated at all. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> um, look, nobody can predict where rates are going to go. But we can all certainly look back at the history of rates 
And you got to look way, way back to see that last really big spike about 40 years ago. And what most people don't look at is 39 years ago. Like, yes, there was this big spike. It only lasted about 11 months. And then everything came right on down. And the people who actually lost their homes in that you know, tragic uh, period in the early 80s, 81, 82, they were the people who locked in and inflicted a 16, 18, 20, 21 percent interest rate on themselves for five long years. Like they just couldn't make it. You know, my father is incredibly risk averse. And he told me, the banker was sitting there telling him he better lock into a five year at 21% because rates are going to 30. You know, they're going to 30. And he took a one year fix and he was so nervous about, you know, rolling the dice like that. But then when he went back a year later, it had dropped from 21 to 11. So, you know, we made it through. But uh, as I say, really, I think that when you look at the history of human behavior, that's even more important than the history of interest rates because understanding how the penalties work and understanding your likelihood of triggering the penalty, that's the real risk. Banks don't make, I mean, I used to say banks don't make a billion dollars a year. Then I used to say banks don't make a billion dollars per quarter. I mean, I don't even, where are we at now? Banks don't make a billion dollars per week by accident. Like bank earnings are not on the rise by accident. So by design, the representative of an institution is not necessarily giving you the entire story. And by the way, that is no disrespect to individuals who work in these institutions. I've had many a conversation with wonderful humans in, in the, you know, all of the different banks who simply don't know. Like they have no idea. They're not trained. It's not like they're trained on all of this and then told to keep it a secret. They're just not trained on it. They just, they don't, they don't actually know. Ask them, hey, can you write down the formula for interest rate differential and explain it to me? And most can't. It's very difficult. I have a 30 minute long podcast episode. It's on Vimeo, actually, where I go through. It's called IRD Explainer. And it's 30 minutes to walk through the website of a major bank and demonstrate here is how a penalty is count and and actually what i'm demonstrating at the time here is how you will trigger a four and a half percent of balance penalty 900 percent higher than a variable rate mortgage a four and a half percent of balance penalty two years from now on a 1.75 percent five-year fixed mortgage it doesn't matter if rates go up it's the system is built so that you will trigger a massive penalty. No matter where rates go, you're pretty much going to trigger an interest rate differential penalty. And people are going to go, IRD, interest rate differential penalty, what's that? And some people are going to find out the hard way what it is. It's 18 grand on 400 grand instead of two grand. Right. You know, Dustin, the one thing that is seems to have changed since we've had you on, and I guess we had you on early COVID, I think, is, is the rate of inflation. Right. Yes. That, that's the one thing that's changed since we've spoken to you last. And since, you know, you wrote those articles in 2012, I'm curious to hear your take on, you know, is inflation transitory and what it what it means for the real estate market? So I apologize. I realized I kept steering away from the actual question of, OK, but what about interest rates? But what, and and, and the, you know, I'm doing that. I was doing it subconsciously. It wasn't by design, but I, I, I do it so often because 
okay, we'll get to that. We'll talk about what might happen with interest rates and everything, but let's talk about what might happen with you. Right. Right. So that's the the first thing that's the most important thing. And like, you need to be working with somebody who's asking you kind of personal questions, <laughs> you know, like what is the stability of your business and your life and your relationships and everything else? Like, is there a chance that you may wind up breaking out of this mortgage earlier because a, a quarter point, half point, one point rate hike, that might be a few hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars as opposed to, you know, a $16,000 spike in the penalty. So as far as the topic of interest rates actually goes and inflation, a lot of that inflation we're seeing, I remember a year ago, lumber. It was like that was all the rage to talk about the price of a two by four. And that was because the mills had all shut down. It wasn't because the trees were all gone. The trees are all still there. There was just nobody cutting them down and feeding them into the mill. So there was no supply. Put a little asterisk next to that word, right? Supply. Hey, wait, that's a familiar sounding word. So the price spiked and it went through the roof. And then they got supply back online. And lo and behold, the price of lumber has somewhat normalized at this point. Now we've had freighters with containers falling off the side of them off the coast of Vancouver Island, further impacting supply of vital things like yoga mats, which, you know, Vancouverites, we need our yoga mats. Come on. <laughs> And so the price of yoga mats is, is probably on the rise, right? And a shipping container, for five years running, it was $2,000 per container to get that container across the ocean. Right now, it's $10,000. But is that going to stay at $10,000? Or they are going to get more oil refined and converted into fuel, and then the fuel prices are going to come back down because there'll be more of a supply of fuel, and will more people return to work? And will there be more workers? And then potentially everything becomes just that little bit more affordable. And will the cost of shipping a container that was two grand two years ago, 10 grand today, will it return to two grand or down to three or four? Most likely it will. Now, how, how, how fast will that happen? Probably reasonably quickly, i.e. six months, 12 months, 18 months. Call it 12 months plus or minus six months. And people have to remember that interest rates, that is a great big lever. It's a huge lever that when the Bank of Canada pulls, it impacts the entire economy. That lever will never, ever be pulled to address housing prices, ever. And here's the irony. Here's the real rub in this whole thing. When they pull on that lever gently and interest rates go up a quarter point, a half point, three quarters of a point... What do you think is going to happen? What happens is the psychology of buyers. You guys have seen it before. Like my pre-approval is expiring. The rates are going up. Right. I got to buy something now. Right? I was just going to say, no, it's always a mad rush, right? It's always a mad rush. You have a 90 or a 120-day rate hold, and you see everybody kind of jump in to get something under contract. That's right. That's right. So as soon as rates move or policies change, if, if policies were to get more restrictive or rates were to increase, you, you see another boost in demand. And we have a supply problem. Just like there were no two-by-fours, there's no housing to buy. That's the problem. And what was mind-blowing when I uh, had a conversation with an, an economist, a very well-respected individual, smart guy, uh, love the guy, but I couldn't believe what he told me about his craft. Economists don't have good data on new household formation in Canada. 
Like, how can that be? Like, I'm pretty sure most of us, if you stop us on the street and said, you know, does the government or the banks, do they know how many new households are going to be formed each year over the next five years? Most of us would think, of course. Sure. I mean, they do a census, right? So, like, surely they know how many people are turning 18 in a household and what the average age somebody's moving out is. Maybe 32 years, it should be, not 18. Maybe it's 30, how many 32-year-olds are living in mom's basement, <laughs> you know, and about to get the boot finally at 33, whatever it is. I mean, they should have a pretty good idea of what age people are when they buy a home and how many people are turning that age over the next five years. They should be able to project this, but apparently <laughs> they can't, which is fascinating to me. And uh, so there's a paper out there, well worth Googling called The Structural Housing Shortage. It's written by a Scotiabank economist, and uh, it's a great piece. And it posits that the structural housing shortage in Canada is somewhere between 100,000 and 2 million units. Bit of a bit of a range. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and the funny thing was, we just had this, this federal election, which was humorous in its own right, where... All the parties were saying, we're going to increase housing by X number of units. And it's like, well, that's that's great that you guys are saying that. But like, where's your magic wand that you're going to pull out and wave? Because housing supply isn't fixed at the federal level or at the provincial level. Housing supply is controlled by the municipal government. And largely it's controlled by that really vocal person that goes to the municipal government meetings and screams as loud as they can, my neighbor. not in my backyard, not in my backyard, right? So, you know, density, like there's, there's no more single family detached home sites being created in the city of Vancouver proper. It's not a thing. Like there's no new neighborhood of detached homes being created. It's the opposite. Detached homes are being amalgamated and multifamily sites are being created from detached home sites. So there will never be more detached homes in Vancouver than there is today. There will only be fewer. So what does that tell you? If you want to live in a detached home in Vancouver, the price is not going to go down ever. Could it dip for a year or two? Sure, slightly. Will it rebound within a year or two? You bet it will. Will it go on to new highs? Absolutely. It's a yo-yo on an escalator. There'll be little up and downs, but the trend will be the same because you have a steadily decreasing supply. So, you know, I think we were talking about interest rates. I apologize. I kind of, you know, you get me, I, I get myself going. But, I, uh, I, but ultimately, in all of that, I, I, sorry, I will, I will complete the thought on interest yeah. rates. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of this inflation, it is transitory. It is short spikes that probably won't be that long lasted. And it would be irresponsible of the federal government to pull the you know, interest rate lever and move prime to try and address inflation that likely is going to shift back down on its own in the next 12 months or so. So I, I don't see the government taking any significant action on interest rates, but the psychological effect is huge. So even a quarter point bump would probably be like a signal and the market would react in a certain way but it's not going to bring home, home prices down i mean go back to what i, I said earlier all mortgages are qualified right now at 4.79 percent 
So you do not start restricting people's ability to purchase until you get interest rates to 4.79%. That is a long ways away. Today's variable rate mortgage is 1.20. You're talking about the Bank of Canada increasing rates, which they only do in quarter point increments. That's really all you're going to see. And to see more than four in a year would be untenable, I would think. So really, even at that pace, you're talking three and a half years before the interest rate increases actually have an impact on the amount of money a person qualifies to go purchase real estate with. So you're not restricting their ability to buy. Not with the next eight hikes, not with the next 12 hikes, only with the 15th hike. And even then, it's just it's restricting it just a little bit. So no, interest rate hikes are not going to slow the market down. And I don't think they're really on the horizon, not in any significant way. I mean, go back to 2009. 2009, we had people predicting 10% interest rates next year. All the same crowd. They were out there in 2009. Interest rates are going to spike. Inflation, this, that, the other thing. It took 10 years for rates to move to 3 3.5%. 10 years before we actually brushed up against the stress test interest rate. So is this a repeat of that experience? Is it going to take 10 years? It very easily could because of those unknowns. Who knows what's going to come out of left field? And remember, economic good news. That's what drives interest rates up. Economic good news. Things are booming. Everything's going wonderfully. We can't keep stock on the shelves. That's what drives interest rates up. Not so much we can't keep stock on the shelves because we can't get it right now. That's a little bit of a different type of inflation. And that seems like it's going to be short-lived inflation. So economic bad news, that tends to be what we have year after year. (laughs) That keeps rates low. So, so Dustin, it doesn't sound like you see interest rates as a risk factor to the market. Maybe let's uh, let's talk about other potential risk factors to Canadian real estate and, of course, Vancouver real estate over the next one, three to five years. Do you see any? I will say what I've said for the last 10 years on that topic. The single greatest risk to the real estate market in Canada, never mind Vancouver, is the federal government or the provincial or municipal governments, if you want to localize it. Governments don't really understand how things work. They get advisors who do not have their feet on the streets, are not dealing in the day-to-day for the most part. They get advisors who are kind of, you know, on the 63rd floor, removed from the day-to-day, and they come out with these policies that make no sense. So that's the risk. The risk is regulation. I'm not anti-regulation. I mean, I, I I like that I go to the hospital when I'm sick and they fix me up for free. I'm I'm a good Canadian socialist slash capitalist. I'm I'm the typical Canadian. I'm I'm well balanced. I'm a, I'm a socialist with a calculator. Like, let's do some math on this, guys. Um, but yeah, I, I I think again, you know, that the number one risk to the market is the regulator's pen coming up with some goofy things that don't really make a lot of sense. In that vein, just recently announced the cooling off period modeled kind of after the rescission period in the in the pre-sale market, in the pre-construction market, where essentially the the buyer has the ability to back out of the deal 
There's a grace period, essentially. Yeah, you basically yeah. can't go subject-free is what can't it sounds like, although it sounds like the details are, are you know, God's often in the details and the details are not, uh, <laughs> have not been released yet. Right. Any, any thoughts on the cooling off period, Dustin? Uh, sure. I'll try and be succinct because I have actually written these down and articulated them a couple of times. So this, this will not be too big of a digression. Here's the number one problem with the cooling off period. It's called a cooling off period. That is not what it should be called. That was their first mistake right out of the <laughs> gates because it gives everybody the perception that you can go write an offer on 10 different properties, then spend a week thinking about which one you really like, like which one really matches, you know, my shoes or, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking as a man who owns a lot of funky shoes. That was not a sexist remark. You know, which one goes best with my custom vans? Which one am I going to? Well, that's of course not reality. And, and what, they should be proposing and the language they should be using is mandatory subjects. So a mandatory subject to appraisal, meaning that if the property does in fact appraise at the purchase price or higher, then you don't have an out, Mr. and Mrs. Buyer. You're committed. Mandatory inspection. Okay, now we can have a little bit of flex around that. Let's say it's uh, as long as repairs don't jeopardize health and safety, uh, repairs required don't jeopardize health and safety and don't exceed a half a percent of the purchase price or something like that. You can put some language in there that will that will cover 95 percent, 99 percent of situations around home inspections. And and let's keep in mind, too, we're not in a market where people want to wiggle out of a purchase. Like I don't know what world people think, you know, real estate is in right now. The state world is uh, the state of real estate is in. But nobody's looking to wiggle out of a purchase. I mean, people are looking to get into a purchase like, like you know, it's, it's high competition out there. Right. And that high competition is forcing people to do crazy things, writing firm offers without an appraisal complete, without any kind of inspection and not understanding that actually that property disclosure that talks about vermiculite insulation, knob and tube wiring poly B piping, special assessment due to water ingress pending, like those things kill your financing dead on the spot. You're not getting bank, but I was pre-approved. We hear that all the time. I was pre-approved. You told me I was pre-approved. Not for a poly B piping building with a pending special assessment. Not for a post and, what is it? Post and cable? Post and cable, right? Like post no, and cable. Not yeah. in tube. Not, well, there's knob and tube wiring, post and, and cable, post and tension cable, tension cable, high tension cable construction. Like there's oh, okay. all these, <laughs> right? There, there's all these little landmines in in certainly in every market, but Vancouver has some unique ones. I mean, in New West, there's a section where houses have railway tie foundations. Like there's a little batch of homes that have foundations made out of oil soaked railroad ties. This is not this is not a good situation. Like when, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the bank discovers this, they don't like this. Like asbestos is a problem. A former grow-up, a remediated grow-up is a problem. An ongoing grow-up is an even bigger problem. You know, like there's all these challenges. And of course, the clients understandably think they're platinum plated. Hey, I'm bulletproof. Like, what's the problem? Give me the money. I'm good for it. But you're fluid. Uh, literally, in a way, you're fluid. I mean, you could fall over. You could have a stroke and vanish on us. Like the bank is left with the property. The property is the security, not the person. The person is guaranteeing they're going to make the payments, but ultimately the bank is left holding the property. 
And so the property matters. And not being able to have a conversation with your finance people about the nature of the property is a problem. So it shouldn't be called a cooling off period. It should be called mandatory subjects. There should be an appraisal and inspection, a standalone appraisal. I think that's a standalone subject, and just to check that box easily. And then financing. Prove to me you didn't get the financing. Where's the letter of decline? And, and what was the reason? You know, maybe on how deep we go into that, I don't know. But that arguably, 10 years ago, I was pitching that and no one was interested. But now we have a situation where it's affecting the entire nation, not just Vancouver. So I think now everyone's paying more attention to this topic. And yeah, why is it I get seven days to make sure my financing is in place and everything is cool on a brand new build built to the highest, latest and greatest standards? But this house over here built 110 years ago by who knows who that has who knows what on the walls. I mean, one of my buddies bought a house with 20,000 bats in the ceiling. It was an A-frame. Their first night in the house, they thought a freight train was going through the house. It was all the bats coming out of the roof. <laughs> and uh, laughing through the track of my tears here. That's That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, one of the brokers I work with had a client write a firm offer on a property with a grave. Oh, that's their that's their old family, you know. And it's a it's a five acre parcel, and the grave's way over in the back corner. Lenders don't want to finance properties with dead bodies on them. Like Yellowstone, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> it just doesn't work, you know. I know Joe Rogan said it'd be fine, but uh, sorry guys, it's it's not fine, right? So I had to throw that line in there, but. Uh, yeah, so so I think the, the the cooling off period is it's the wrong label to put on it. Mandatory subjects make a lot of sense, and and it's a ratchet effect, right? Like click click, it appraised. You're locked in. That subject is now removed. You know, click click, it passed inspection. That subject is now removed. You're that much more locked in, and you can't wiggle out, and you can't write on more than one property at a time. The, the, I think those fundamentals are easy to address. The last one, and I know we've gone kind of long here, is, of course, the blind bidding. And that is such a fascinating topic. I started doing a fair bit of reading on it about six months ago. And the, the peer-reviewed studies and some of the books on bidding and open bidding and blind bidding and all the rest of it, it's really interesting because do you have people who lose a property by a significant margin? Do you have someone who pays $1.1 million house that was 900,000 lips and somebody else bid 999 but this guy came in at 11 or this couple came in at 11 and then they feel if they discover this they feel like they left $100,000 on the table guy that came in couple that came in at 999 I'm trying to correct my uh, language male female neutral here the the individual the road of 999 would they have actually gone to 1.2 like, could they have? And would they have? Right. Like, they might have made a strategically low bid thinking they were going to get it based on a bunch of criteria, and they just called it wrong. But if it had been an open bidding situation and the other individual had gone to 1-1, one, one, they could have easily been 1-1-1, one, 1-1-2. One, 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 the other buyer could have been 1-1-3. One, one, the next thing you know, the thing sells for 1-2-5. And interestingly enough, the majority of studies showed that is exactly what happens actually accelerate further faster with open bidding i.e we all have egos 
<laughs> well, a- anecdotally, though, that does happen. I'm just thinking over the years, the number of buyers who, when we find out the price, if we're if we're not successful, say, "Well, I would have paid that." Yeah, I mean, is, is we, that common? You're, you know, we hear that all the time. Well, we spend the almost the entire day before offer presentation doing that soul searching of if it sells for this, are you going to be disappointed? If it sells for, the, you know, I mean, that's yep. that's the exercise, right? So to to have that information, you can imagine that how that study would be correct, right? One thing I want to clarify just quickly before we move on is is uh, post tension cables. I'm still always learning something on this uh, on this podcast, but popular in 1970s and 80s in Calgary, steel cables running through concrete. And the problem with post tension cables is that they're very expensive to repair if something goes wrong. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, I was going to say Dustin's a national figure. Right. So we're, we're, right. <laughs> we're talking about the things in all markets. I'm just interested, Dustin, or just to put a fine point on it. I know we've talked to you in the past about being consulted, that you're actually consulted from time to time. Are they consulting you in this cooling off period? Because I, I love this idea of, you know, for those listening who don't know about the rescission period under REDMA in British Columbia, that's basically seven days in which you can walk away from a an accepted offer on new construction without providing a reason, right? You just, you can cancel the contract. And I love this idea of kind of a more, you know, firm set of subjects in which if you have to actually demonstrate that you're, you know, you're unable to get financing or it didn't appraise, that type of thing. Are, are you being consulted at all or do we have to send the podcast into the, <laughs> to the province or what are you listen? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, uh, I'm not exactly sure who's being consulted on on this or if they've even put out the offer. I know there's been a few offers out there that I've seen from different government levels saying, hey, we were putting together a committee for this, that or the other thing. And I I have thrown my hat in the ring a few times because I think I have a, a relatively unbiased perspective. I mean, if I'm biased at all, it's for the up and coming generation to have a shot at owning a home. That's it. I mean, I'm I'm not some owner of 55 properties just trying to push real estate values even higher. Like that's that's not even close. I wish I wish that was my situation in some regards. Um, it's not. Like I, I'm really I really am just concerned about the policies that negatively impact families over and over and over. And uh, so I'd love to be a part of it. But some of the feedback I've had when I've volunteered for some of these positions in the past is that I'm seen as too much of a stakeholder. I'm seen as too biased. And uh, so, you know, they, they, they try and they try and strike a balance between somebody close enough to the industry. They understand it, but far enough removed from it that the optics don't look like, you know, the tails wagging the dog type thing, I guess. Uh, you know, I, look, I have a lot of respect for the people who are tasked with creating legislation. I get it. I mean, it's real easy to be the armchair expert here and, you know, wow, this legislation is crap. What were they thinking when they brought that out? To be the individual trying to create that legislation and balance that roundtable of people who are giving their input and get away with the the whole unintended consequences aspect, like get away without triggering severe unintended consequences that's a lot of weight that's a it's a a big burden so i do respect the people trying to move these initiatives forward 
But yeah, I think the more voices they have, the better to some extent. I mean, let's not forget the, uh, you know, AMC Gremlin was designed by committee. So, it's, you know, you got to be careful how many voices you have in the room. But I date, I know I date myself with that one. You know, Google, Google AMC Gremlin and you'll see what I mean. This is not a beautiful historic car, not by a long shot. Uh, Dustin, maybe, maybe we'll leave it there. Let's do it. There you have, folks, our discussion with Dustin Woodhouse. Really enjoyed that conversation with Dustin. And, uh, you know, as we know from experience of working with Dustin over the years, you don't really have to prepare questions for a conversation like that. You basically tell us about yourself, Dustin, and he takes it from there. He takes it from there. You know what? He's got a lot of opinions. I, I really liked the framing of the problem with the real estate market being right now that the government is actually in the way of allowing middle-class Canadians to get into the market. Right. I think he said that before, but that's always a useful way, a useful framing of the issue. Well, you know what? He's now worked for several years and especially when he was a broker, right? Because he always had a very high volume business. It's a busy guy. Worked with hundreds of families every year. And uh, man, when you start to see the same pain points over and over again, it must really shape the way that you view, obviously, the market and the role of the government in each family life, right? Because yeah, well, and especially when you can imagine that they can afford it or they're paying rent higher than what their mortgage costs will be and they still right. can't qualify for the mortgage. And then meanwhile, a year or two later, they're completely out of the market. Yeah. And if they want to, they're either going to have to leave the city or or forever rent, right? Which is, it's unfortunate, but you understand why he holds the position he holds on the market and uh, always a pleasure to chat with uh, Dustin and get his insight. Absolutely, stay calm and carry on. That was my uh, that was my big takeaway. That was your that was your takeaway. Yeah, That's, I think so. <laughs> you saw that on a on a poster in your bedroom. I was what? in Victoria. Yeah, a lot oh, of British right, people. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Your trip to Victoria. What else do we got before we cut for the day, man? What else do we have? We have Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. This is our website where all things real estate related live. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where you get our show. Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. You get the Live Wire where you get stats before anyone else, deal of the month, VIP pre-sale access to residential and commercial projects. You also get private client services. And Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You get realtor level information for free available at your fingertips. All you have to do is head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We've had tons of people signing up for PCS lately. Yeah. It is the best resource out there. Truly, it is. And I got to say, we've got uh, you know hundreds of uh, people, maybe even thousands, I should say, of people on, on uh, yeah. PCS and with multiple search accounts. Most people sign up once and then they're like, you know what? I want to monitor this area, or I want to monitor this building, or alternatively, they want to monitor with the properties that they own already, right? And it's perfect for sellers. It's perfect for homeowners. So definitely sign up, get PCS, and uh, either myself, Matt, or Melissa on our team will be in contact to uh, set you up with your own free account. That's VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, or alternatively, you could give me a call anytime, 778-847-2854, or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574, or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line, info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yeah, and speaking about Kokomo, Matt, last but not least, I will plug an investment summit that's coming up this Saturday. Talk about on your way to Kokomo. 
It's with our really good friends at Western Canadian Properties Group. And, and IRR uh, Investment IRR, yeah. Realty Revenue. I, 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 investment Revenue Realty, Matt. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Taylor Steele, Cynthia Asen, the gang over there. So we're really excited about that. That's we're Saturday. On, I think, Saturday morning. Yeah, we are on Saturday morning. We're going to be sending out a mailer. So if you're on the Five Wire, you will get a registration Livewire, link. You mean. Oh yeah, sorry, Live Wire. <laughs> sorry, I've got my uh, my names all mixed up yeah. here. It's the F45 workout. I'm telling we're, you, we're, 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 the energy. The energy here is. Uh, how's your stats? Uh, anyways, the energy is is yeah is down in here. But really, it's it's the energy is going to be back up on Saturday because we're fired up. We're going to be talking about our five most frequently asked questions in the real estate market during our time and uh, lots of big takeaways expected for there. And there's a lot of good people on that uh, panel, including Kyle Green, Ace Mortgage Broker, friend of the show. Lots of people talking. So we're excited. So if you are on the live wire, you'll get a link to that to to register. And of course, it's on Saturday, November 20th. So check And if you're not on the live wire, send us an email, matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com or info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com and we'll get you signed up. Absolutely. And if we don't see you Saturday, we will see you next week, same time, same place on this amazing podcast. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, 
new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.